The Fremen see her as the Earth figure, a demigoddess whose special charge is to protect the tribes through her power of violence. She is Reverend Mother to the Reverend Mothers, to pilgrims who seek her out with demands that she restore virility or make the barren fruitful. She is a form of anti-mentat. She feeds on that proof that the analytic has limits. She represents ultimate tension. She is the virgin harlot, witty, vulgar, cruel, as destructive in her whims as a Coriolis storm. Saint Alia of the Ninth, as taken from the Irulan report. Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune Messiah. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open up a new bottle of wine, have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. Yeah, what, what are we drinking today, Mike? This is Le Florets. Yeah. Le Florets? I, I think we go Le Florets. Yeah. 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 Was that, was that Paul? Are you smiling? Uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> is that what you can feel? <laughs> yeah, nice little rosé. Loving it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2019. It's tasty. It's a. Uh, it's a little bit more sour than I was expecting. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't win them all. You can't win them all. I'll take it. Uh, yeah, I think I'd enjoy more with like a meal. Yeah, to be honest. But like, just sitting around drinking a bottle on its own, just like not my favorite. I don't think <laughs> it's that kind of wine. We're gonna take one for the team and do it anyway. <laughs> Indeed. But Mike, this. This uh, header into the chat. I don't even want to talk about the chat. It was super yet. long. It was very different from the last few weeks. Yeah, and just so cool because it finally it's talking about Aaliyah and how she I is know. viewed uh, from like the Imperials' perspective, or at least like the religious rabble of Moab. I think it's a little A, little B because now the Imperium is sort of it's got an element of that uh, that Fremen culture to it, or at least like we know the Fremen. Yeah, well, you know, it's got the Fremen religion to it. Yeah. We've plastered over any previous religions. I guess that's true. We have sort of just, re- like, established that across the Imperium, according mm-hmm. to the older book. Yeah. And we have with the Kizrat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like, that is the new kind of flourishing mm-hmm. religion. Uh, you've seen how Korba has been acting recently, right? Right. Like, that's what he represents. Uh, and she is a component to it. And yeah. Clearly, uh, oh, God, yeah. She's a very cynical component to it. Uh, but I love this idea of her as Earth figure, which is very interesting for them to use the term Earth. I know. I think it's one of the first times we've thrown it out there. Like Not uh, desert figure, Earth figure. Earth figure, yeah. Uh, or, well, just even like planet or Terra. Uh, I think we've seen these before. With True. Uh, well, they would have called it Terra, though, wouldn't they? So I think maybe we're reading too much that. into that. What? Like they would have called the old, like what we call Earth? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm saying, uh, highlighting that in them using Terra, they use that replacing Earth as well, mm. just within their lexicon. Like, this word doesn't come up often. Um, but uh, what do you think of um, the use of her as an anti-mentat? I think that sort of describes what you're talking about. It's like, you know, the cynic. Mm-hmm. Like, sort of taking everything with a grain of salt. Okay, I think, well, I think this is a reflection of, like, the people's cynicism, not hers. Oh, like, they're looking at her. Like, what is a mentat? It's basically like a computer, right? right. It's processing just logical, um, you know, A's and B's. Sure, this happens, sure, sure. that happens. She is something that's mystical, 
magical. It's like anti-science, you know? Mm -hmm. That's what she's there to be, but she's also grounded in reality. Uh, And then this is followed with all these oxymorons that we uh, cludgeon together to kind of describe Aaliyah, culminating, I think, in Virgin Harlot. That's a really good one. So this actually reminds me back of an epigraph from, oh, I think chapter three or so. Uh, yeah, it must be chapter three, coming back to Reverend Mother Mahayam. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the opening quote for that chapter. It says, thus spoke St. Aaliyah of the knife. So it's even a quote from St. Aaliyah. Right. Um, and it's by the, it, this is in the family, uh, the family commentaries that Princess Aaron does. And it's the Reverend Mother must combine the seductive wiles of a courtesan with the untouchable majesty of a virgin goddess. Oh. Holding these attributes in tension so long as the powers of her youth endure. For when youth and beauty have gone, she will find that place between, once occupied by tension, has become a wellspring of cunning and resourcefulness. That is, like, that's exactly what we're talking about here. Right? And, like, living through here, we're showing it now, right? Yeah. We, were just, we were just talking before, like, so we're wait, doing. So, wait, maybe Frank didn't really write this big really nice thing he just copy pasted from the first book yeah maybe that was one of those cut sections that he's like i don't got time and do and i had to trim maybe. it back right it does i really like it that one does seem like a cohesive thought it does like it connects so seamlessly well, he had this. an idea of who Aaliyah was going to be exactly. yeah exactly i don't think he had to retcon this one mm-hmm. uh, like this definitely fit in with that original idea do you uh, think he was uh, he was expecting to do any sort of sequel down the road, or he didn't ooh. know how he was going to finish the first book? Maybe I, I, I th- there's a lot of uh, like suggestions on those matter. Um, I think what he phrased like he wanted it to be more than he wanted it just to be bigger, but he had to stop at some point to get it published. Right, that was always I think Frank's ultimate thing. Like ultimately, you got to publish, you got to just stop, and you're never satisfied. So. I have always had a really hard time putting my thumb down of where he ever did have a line. Like, mm-hmm. when did your idea for this book stop and the next one begin? Or when did you cut those books into? Or, like, you changed that idea halfway through this one to mm-hmm. be like, ooh, wait a second. Because there's, there, and there are clear evidence. I've told you the golden path many a time is going to be a thing characters will reference. And we're like, we're even going to talk to Paul about it at some point, but Paul's never told us about it. He's never couched it in that language. So that makes me think like Frank didn't have that language in mind either. Okay. But I don't know. I can't ever put a pin down in many specifics. So like Aaliyah, no idea. Like <laughs> Could be anything. The Golden Bad League is my only example to be like, this one I know he didn't have like hammered down, I think in uh, Messiah, but mm-hmm. I think by children he definitely knows where we're going. Right, um, but uh, this particular one, I th- definitely think he knew who Leo yeah. was going to be. Yeah, I think anyway, who we wanted her to be. Yeah, yeah, and who she ends up being. Um, so what do we end this off with? Uh, this string of words that I would say are negatives that we're using to describe this woman who's like the head of a religion. What do you make of that? Well, also think about who is writing it. That was what I was going to get to. <laughs> yeah, certainly. It's coming off of, it's the Irulan Report. This is going to the Bene Gesserit. Right, exactly. I think that's why those are included in there. Uh, and it's not even her just being catty, but it's probably very true based on the Aaliyah that we get to see. Like, Aaliyah's a bit of a bitch. And like, just like, she, she'll cut straight through the truth. Uh, she's very blunt. And again, it's a 15-year-old girl talking to you, right. <laughs> the body of, but it's like this ancient line of women within her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, man. I mean, like, my love for guys, Helen, 
it's transitive right for Aaliyah because again, guy sounds in Aaliyah. She's got a little little guy like Aaliyah in better. Oh, I don't know. They're they're both great. Different different uh different characters. I've been, I've been following Aaliyah for all her life. It's true. It's true. I want them to do combat. Oh, that'd, that'd be, be really cool. It's a death match. I don't think that would happen. Oh, well, well, who do you? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> like, I mean, you've read Frank doesn't do that. You, you don't get something that cool. Even even if we're not going to get Raban. Well, even when uh, Paul fought Fade, that kind of sucked. He cheated. <laughs> like, he shanks him. He's like, excuse me, and then stabs him. <laughs> so silly. Uh, but I guess uh, I'm willing to set this Irulan report or Irulan's report aside if you are, unless you got anything sure, else you want no, to throw no, in. No. All right, because let's go. Let's head to the fane of the Oracle, Mike. And if we walk out on the balcony, we're going to find Aaliyah there. Yeah. Looking out over the city. She's got a little robe on. And she uh, is telling she's us. She's got her own temple. Yeah. And it's attached to Paul's keep, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of symbolic of their relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just how it is. And the Fremen built it uh, on the side. It's the fane of the Oracle. So uh, cool. Yeah, really cool, Dave. And uh, I like, she's looking out there and she's just like, ah. Oh, I hate how this has been forced. This station has been forced onto me. But in a very Paul way, she's like, there's no way I could have avoided this without mm-hmm. bringing destruction down on us. She, yeah. No, just like uh, her own prescience, I feel in a way too. I think yeah. she, she understands the logic and reasoning behind mm-hmm. it. It's like whatever whatever is in the future of that path, it's so obvious to everybody. She can see it. Paul can see it. I bet the guild has an inkling of an idea like... A little bit. Yeah. Very interesting, though. And so looking down, she she hates these pilgrims. She hates the vendors, these charlatan diviners that are all down there. Uh, they mention horospices. Do you know what a horospice is? No. So uh, do you ever remember uh, Shakespeare's play, Caesar? Uh, no. Oh, really? You yeah, I didn't, read, I didn't read that one. <gasps> All right. Well, so he goes and uh, he gets a warning. He goes to like the Oracle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and she cuts open, I think like a, a goat or something, spill out the entrails and they read the entrails. That's a horse visit. Like they use, they basically do divining with like organs and shit like that and oh. sacrificing an animal kind of deal. Jesus. And uh, that was what gave Caesar the Ides of March as his like portent. Beware right, the right. Ides of March. Um which he didn't, and he died. <laughs> uh, so I just loved it. That was, I thought I, you are usually my Shakespeare guy. I would have expected that was. To, I mean, like the uh, one, the one play you don't know I mean, by him. That's pretty much just Roman Macbeth. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but an important guy. Yeah, no, I just I didn't read it. Yeah, hilarious. <laughs> I saw him like I know enough about Julius Caesar. <laughs> <Yeah>. Old news. <laughs> he even Brutus hated him. <laughs> um, so. Oh, uh, she's reflecting back. She kind of pulled what Paul had done earlier in the day, right? Mm-hmm. Paul did a little, like, disguised king walking in the city. Right, right, Aaliyah right. was doing a little disguised priest just walking through the city, I yeah. guess. Um, and she had seen the Dune Tarot everywhere. Oh, my God. And that... this we touched on, because obviously I could not not tell you there were packs of trading cards. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And they're red and green packs on everywhere. Everyone wants more deep. Hell yeah, you got to get it. Uh and Aaliyah's thought, though, is why are these here now? And who is supplying the cards? Mm. Any thoughts, Mike? Oh, interesting. I didn't think about that. Probably Corba. 
<laughs> nope, not Gorba. No, I can rule that one out for you. No, uh, you don't think he would want to like uh, propagate the like mythos and religious aspect? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, really? Like, I don't think that's part of his plan. Because who? I I would just point to if I'm going to use my evidence here. Like, who was the one we saw using the taro? I mean, guys, hell behind for sure. Yeah, I I think it's more of a Bene Gesserit thing like a ploy on their part pushing these things to to again to cloud intentionally cloud so why is it this tarot is clouding people's viewpoint because everyone's a little prescient now especially on what? Arrakis. well like it's just a spice no 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 it's just like you're doing a divining act and basically you're having everyone do it it's just white noise like the effect you and I have is like nothing but like a million people having that little effect is, I guess, something. It's like everyone turn your towels down. Yeah. And again, like this is uh Frank totally just threw this one in here. Like, I think this is a very deus ex machina for this book and this novel. Just mm-hmm. It's just to help move this plot along and give you like a reasonable blind spot in Paul's power. I can see I, it. I, I just, I don't know. I just, uh. I guess because, I mean, there are no real rules with prescience. We have like Definitely. a couple hard stop rules that aren't even really hard stop rules. Uh-huh. I don't know. I, I This one's just thrown in there. Okay. I want to let's go with your Corba, though, of like, so you're taking the Panagiris because you know. Because we know that he wants to make a martyr out of Paul. Yeah. So how, but how does like the Dune Terror? I don't know. Ooh, or is it just enough to buy him like some wiggle room? Maybe. I don't know. To like. Throw, throw some dust up, so to speak, in his emperor's eyes or his Mati's eyes, even his god's eyes. Um, perhaps I mean that's assuming that Corba knows like there are rules to that. And, and it seems like Corba. I mean, because like every time Paul speaks, ooh. he sort of just like mm, I didn't hear that. Yeah, I was gonna say actually, I I was, I was gonna say that Corba totally buys in, but really we don't know what Corba believes. No, not really. I think Corba Corba must be aware he's just touting the spouting lines. Maybe we haven't. Maybe he doesn't even like want to make a martyr right now. Maybe that's something down the road we're gonna discover. Something that he'll figure out. Yeah, because we only know that from the, the from, prologue. From Bronzo. Yeah, yeah, from Bronzo saying just like, God, oh, and this happened. But we don't exactly know how mm-hmm. or when that happens. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's a lot more mysteriousness to him, actually, that we didn't give him credit for in that meeting of like, is he being honest to himself? Or is he playing a role, like a character I mean, like side tale? No, because he was Pope for a day. No, okay, no, but that was, uh, he. no, he, that that could have been honest to himself. Oh, you think so? Paul felt like he he loved that. Like, yeah, he he might have that might have been the most honest thing. But sort of shows you that maybe Corba wants that power himself. He got a taste of Pope them, and now he, he needs exactly to be the Pope. Paul them. Uh, <laughs> Paul them. I mean, Pope Pauls. There've been a few of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll keep an eye on Corba next time he pops up there. But I like an, uh Certainly, too, the guild's got to be involved because. Uh, you're the only one transporting shit in space. Exactly. You're, you're bringing those. The cards. guild's involved with everything. That's just like, yeah. Oh man, that should be just be on there uh, when they're we finally putting that trial against Edric. <laughs> Sorry, you're involved in everything. Yeah. No, turn his mic off. <laughs> um, but we get to uh, Aaliyah wondering about these cards. This is probably my favorite line, especially in the audiobook. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the narrator says this, she just, it's like got a little sneer to it. And it's, oh. Fremen were notoriously fey. Ooh. I love that. Um, cause, so what does that mean to you? I guess just like uh, mystical, mm-hmm. mysterious. Yeah. 
That's a totally yeah. what I get. I mean, that's usually what Faye is. And they, I mean, I guess Frank always sort of like uh, brings things to sort of like a Faye and fairies when it comes to the Fremen, or at least like uh, with Cheney, her fairy-like face. No, yeah, definitely the, um, the Fremen view of the world. Yeah. Oh, oh, or oh, Elfin. The, elfin feature. Or Elfin gotcha. feature, and Paul's just like, oh, a fairyland. Like when he's oh, like wait, wait, examining wait. the desert, okay, which is okay. like their I mean, home. I had to be like, did we run with that line? But that was the it line. was literally said, in the book. He said, yeah, it looks like a fairy land. We really ran with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him <laughs> commenting on the moonscape and the plants. Sure, totally. But just the idea that like this is sort of like a different realm altogether, and these are the people of the realm. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like they so, were like, a hidden little magical world I, I within think, the Imperium. I think very like Avalon like. All right, so that is the traditional use of fey. There was one other definition that I oh. thought was really neat. So it's like the Scottish definition, just meaning like fated to die. So it was Whoa. it was saying like you would use F-A-Y would mm-hmm. be like a fairy or like those creatures. Sure. You know say? And then F-E-Y would be like fated to die and have this other kind of meaning. And I loved it. Of like, I think what they do mean is the first one. So- that I just think that you could interpret that in a very Fremen way. We're like fated to die. They have this sort of almost nihilistic sense of life. Like we are all going to perish. Right. Uh, like the how we are all part of the uh, the Amtal rule. We're being tested to be broken. That's just mm. what life is doing to us. Eventually, we all meet Shai Halud. There's a fatality to them that I think they totally accept, and that is why they're also so badass in battle. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. They don't really fear death. It's inevitable. It's coming. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've kidnapped somebody? We'll throw a funeral for them. <laughs> like, we're into today. We're already doing great. We're ahead. We're thriving people <laughs> on the edge of life. Uh, so I, I thought that definition was really cool. Uh, and I just wanted to throw it in there. Now, standing up, Mike, on this balcony, we're super high up. Mm-hmm. Wind can still hit us, though, and a little sand touches her face. And this sand blew all the way from over the shield wall. And it's the desert. Calling her back. Ooh. Come to me. Seems the desert's calling all of them back. Yeah. It's almost like a little message we're kind of yeah. getting. It's a big theme, right? In mm-hmm. this one, like we've gone, we've gone too far. We've built yeah. some monstrosity. We're definitely all unnatural at this point. Uh, I mean, where's her still suit? Yeah. I mean, when was the last time she wore still suit? Where, where, where's Paul's still suit? Like they're coming off all the time. Yeah, Stilgar was in robes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's not right. It's weird. We, I, I don't think we've been in a cave. Nope. We haven't gone out to the desert. Um, nope. We went to. Uh, I mean, how big is this palace? Yeah, we could have walked through a desert on the way somewhere <laughs> for sure. There's a desert in there. Yeah, that's what Farouk said, right? <laughs> of like their nomadic lives. Um, but I like this. Yeah, I think everyone is is getting called. The desert is like this looming character for us, being like, I want some screen time. Like, let me at them. Mm-hmm. Let me at them. Uh, she's looking and, uh, the people are like ants below her. Right. And they're all packing up. The day is done here. Uh, she's just seeing them all like moving along. And I think that's also the cynic kind of hitting in her of like the religion just stops at this time. Like, yeah, yep, you guys, no one means anything. And, uh, from this vantage point, Ali is able to tell who is a real Fremen and who is not in much the same way Paul described in his chapter. Yeah. Right. I felt like this was kind of redundant. But the look of awe and well, superstition. I mean, yeah, it is redundant. She doesn't go into it super heavy, though. It's mainly, I think it ties Paul and Leah. She's like, they've got similar mindsets and thinking. I, yeah, I kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Of like, 
and that's something, another thing we're seeing in this book, oh, mm-hmm. parallels between them. They're always uh, leaning on one another. Right. Uh, and then I would also say of um, it's separating the Fremen from everybody else even more, mm-hmm. right, than both they were previously and just letting you know each chapter, like, we're different people. We're ostracized a little bit, even on our home world, our mm-hmm. capital world, like, it's different, and you're uh, yeah. a subclass, or not a subclass, but a different class of people altogether. Aaliyah was born at a very interesting time. Probably the most interesting <laughs> one of... She was a general no, no, on the yeah. battlefield as a baby. No, yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, she was born at the most interesting time in, like, the universe history, in, like, this yeah. whole thing. All of it. She gets to be at the key pre- uh, moments, and a player in them all. Yeah. Now, uh, these Fremen that she's seeing, Mike, they're still living by the old ways. These are the Fremen, they're out, they're capturing, they're riding worms, they're mm-hmm. sacrificing worms, they're doing the blood sacrifices that uh, Cheney told us about, right. but, but I'm not Which, taking like, part in. We didn't really hear about that much in the first book. I guess that would be the thing <laughs> Again, yeah. where, like, uh, what they would have done with Jessica. Oh, uh, oh, I would actually say it might have been something before Kinds. Oh, right, because, uh, right. like, th- didn't we, like, touch on that in one of these chapters? No, like, not, but, like, something that, uh... No, it might have even been by Bronzo, like talking about uh, uh, these acts that were like going on before. Oh, it was Farouk. That's what he said. No, but I think Cheney. Was it Cheney? Yeah, we it was a, a during coffee service. Let's just and... go through all the chapters. Derek. Yeah, that's pretty much what we just did. <laughs> no, you're right. No, it was during the coffee service. She was talking about like how some people are still doing like just because she's defensive to yeah. Paul of being like, but I'm not taking part in it. It's by like the way. it's not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I I would just say the kinds leaves as an option of like. That was the other time the friend changed I a lot. I believe that like Pardot probably would have like started changing that. It, it definitely would have alienated him a little. Yeah. I was just like, hey, like, what? Let's call that water. Like let's love, save it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and that could have been his way around it. Um, and then she's going to reinforce this fact that these people, these they hate the offworlders, our fremen, these fremen mm-hmm. that are doing these sacrifices even more than back in the day when we used to hate the people of the gra- uh, the. Graben in the city, yeah, or the pan in the Graben. Now, like people are making pilgrimages all the time. Offworlders, <sighs> God, the worst. It's offworlder season. Let alone the people of the pan and the Graben. <laughs> Waterworlders showing up. It's the worst. Waterworlders. All these Kevin Costners. <laughs> uh, so, Aaliyah then makes one of a good line here of just like, look, and there are no knifings in the sacred precinct. But bodies are found later <laughs> with knife wounds, right? So there are knifings? Like, no, what do we, no but we don't say that. Divine intervention. It's like hot fuzz. like safest city in the world. Really, no murder here. It's like they drag him past a line. Like, no, he died out there now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, clearly people are dying left and right here. Oh, my God. It's just, it's it got to be anyone just bumping into a Fremen. You just get shanked with a Chris knife, and that's just it. Uh, as the mob is leaving, they're going to kick up a bunch of dust. That dust, too, is going to ascend to the heavens and touch Aaliyah's nose, and Ooh. it's the desert, calling her back. One more time. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, what? Oh, no, no, it's just interesting. D- the, just, the using that motif twice yeah. of, like, we're getting it from the shield wall, and then we're having these people kick it up, and each time it's that flinty, like, mineral smell is just hitting her. And uh, her senses, she realizes, uh, her senses of the past had been amplified by the Gola. Oh. Yeah. Do you think that is intentional on Sightail's part, or is that, like, uh, happenstance? Is that fortunate? How could he know? I mean, how do you know he, she would be attracted to him? 
How could he know earlier? Because he's a handsome goat of a man. Sure, sure. I, I, I don't know. know how he could know. Of uh, I, I don't know how he does anything. Maybe even Saito's is just like, man, I'm a little attracted to that guy too. Everyone's attracted to Duncan. That very much, he could put on the Aaliyah form. Look at Duncan <laughs> and be like, I feel it. I feel oh, it. Actually, yeah, I could. Yeah, I don't think you could put it on the you Aaliyah. Don't think so. Like, I don't know. Oh, I, I guess no, you no. wouldn't get the exact I'm mental just saying, thing. like, I can't fathom what Simpatica would like. With like Paul or Aaliyah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would just like their ears start bleeding. They're already exceptions. Yeah, sure, so, like, sure. like, what Sightail would have to make That's of that? That's an interesting idea that I didn't Definitely. consider the idea of uh, Sightail taking one of their forms and what that would possibly do to a face dancer. Yeah. I would love it if it was like, um, so. Mm, yeah, I mean, Aaliyah does have a personality now. I was thinking, like, whatever kind of spirit she was talking to, like, if you just get that one, so, like, you could touch Aaliyah, and, like, depending on the time of day, it's different feelings come mm-hmm. through and stuff, or, like, a whole different person kind of deal. Right, right, right. Um, but, I mean, she definitely has her own identity at this point, though. She's very much made that clear to us. Yeah. Like, I am And thank Aaliyah. goodness. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're pre-born. You've had enough. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just another thing uh, of red flag. Uh, to get thrown on the field here, being mm-hmm. like the Gola is having effects on her that she doesn't even really fully understand. It's, or, I mean, in a way, it's already done his work. Like Paul has been changed, Ali is being changed. Ooh, yeah. I mean, it, just its presence there may it be all that is needed. That's how Frank's. That's how like a plot usually goes, yeah. in dude. Right? Like, yeah. Once it's done, it's like no, everything's already done. Yeah. Like yeah. you just have to react now to these things. But you can't change this point. We've already like thrown the lever. Um, I, I love it. So Frank, now he's gonna give us a very fremen idiom, and uh, I thought this kind of stuck out a little bit in the flow of the chapter. Uh, where it's just like wild fremen said it well. Four things cannot be hidden: love, smoke. A pillar of fire and a man striding across the open bled. Oh, love cannot be hidden. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I'm like. Okay, <laughs> I, I like three of those things I get. Uh, <laughs> and love, okay, sure, sure. I would have gone like smoke, a, smiller, a pillar of fire, a man going across the bed, and then you end with love, right? Because shouldn't it be like a little bit of a twist of like, oh, the feeling, I get it. Like you're making a point. Um, but like, why do, why do they get through love in there? I mean, I, I mean, it's definitely attaching it to the Gola a little bit. Maybe, but when you think about the Tao as well, like with the sharing of people's like minds and emotions, like that's not something you can really hide within a CH. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're totally yeah. right. I, that's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that was uh, totally part of like when Cheney and Ball like ran up yeah. the side. Like, yeah, everyone's going to know. Yeah, I get it on Tao. Um, um, then I think uh, last chapter you mentioned something along these lines in mm-hmm. either the chapter or the deep dive. And I was trying to remember, like, where did you say that from? I think it was from this chapter. This is where they pull it from. Okay. Yeah, obviously. So anything in the encyclopedia, Mike, it's going to be referencing. Yeah, but it was last week. I hadn't read this that, chapter yet. So it was just, just like, like, oh. It's your mind. <laughs> hey, we're in a little uncharted territory for where I insert them in. Uh, but you're just like, don't you remember, Mike? I'm like, I don't. Just know that I don't have a master plan. Uh, <laughs> That was by accident. <laughs> it probably would have made sense to change it, but I have different things going forward. All right. All right. Uh, my little teaser, Mike. You know what I did find in there? I oh. was furious about this. Oh, wow. Death Stills does have an article. Oh. And, like, we had questions about that in the first book. It's under Huanwei. Huanwei? Yeah. yeah. No okay. I, and I was like, why wouldn't you call it Death Still parenthesis Huanwei? <laughs> like, so furious. Because it's not even, like... Juan Wee Princely Destil. It says Juan Wee 
And like, obviously, I passed that many a time. I don't need to look I assume, it's like, maybe it's a character. Or you just run out of things and they're like, oh, let's see what this is. I mean, I, I literally went through everything. I, I just check my, t- you know, cross my T's, dot my I's kind of deal. And then like, I was like, oh, make sure I know what this is. Uh, death still, I like, rip shit. I like. Uh, so we'll get to do that at some point, right? Yeah. We okay. find, oh, it's very soon. Very soon. <laughs> I got answers for you, especially for like where how they did Jameis's body. Oh, see, that'd be yeah. great. Yeah, it would be. Um, but so some things will come out of order is uh, the okay. moral of that story. And that was where this line yeah, ended up being. But I do uh, like it. And it is, uh, Frank, the four things, too, where it makes me kind of holler back to Guy Selling, the four yeah, pillars. The four that, pillars of uh, a ruler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The pillars that hold the pillars and the ruler being the fist. Um, but yeah, so that line, I like it, a little idiom we get to throw in there, like add a little character to us. And we continue on with this um, looking down of all this crowd, right? Packing mm-hmm. up. Aaliyah now just feels revulsion. She's going to head inside to the into the fane, and she walks off that balcony. And we go into the interior, and the interior is going to have a cool name too. The Hall of Oracles. And like, she is on this cool balcony that's sort of like overlooking the whole hall. And like, she walks back to her chambers. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of moving through the church, which I wish it give us more, um, more description of like what it is what like it inside like that it. building. Yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. Cause like, I get the set, the sense of scale must be immense. She was already like dwarfed them. Like they were ants to her. And now she's just inside that same size building. Uh, and within this, on this balcony, so high up, there's sand under her feet. This is kind of a weird thing that she, like, thinks. What, oh, what? Of, like, there's this irritation to her. Yeah, of, supplicants like, always tracked sand into the sacred chambers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've been using, this is one of the words Frank has really honed in on from Messiah, is supplicants, mm-hmm. just beggars coming in. Like, we've used it everywhere. We originally called the Bene Gesserit that when Paul was at the Folder meeting. Oh, yeah. The Bene Gesserit supplicants have come in, uh, you know, for their uh, cut of spice. Uh, but, yeah, she, again, Cynic hates these people. They're so, like, shallow. And they've all come in. They've just brought in all this sand, which, and this is, like, uh, almost a little unfriendly of her. Or maybe she just got so used to Farouk being around. Mm, yeah, like, see that oh. you're not willing to tolerate there being sand is strange to see, me. See, now we witness the consequences of Sidetail's actions. This is what you. <laughs> this should be a red flag for everyone. Why is there so much sand everywhere? Where's Farouk? <laughs> this is what cued us into Farouk. Wait, where's Farouk? <laughs> the whole plan gets discovered right away. No, you you killed the sweeper. How you killed the emperor's sweeper? We did it. <laughs> That'd be so good. That's how it underpins the whole bit. Uh, like I said, she's on her way to her personal quarters and uh, she passes some guards and stuff and just like ignores them. Like she is very much playing to her station. And this is very Jessica too. I remember Jessica mm. keeping her chin high, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. playing her role. And we have guards, postulants, because our priests are all here. And uh, oh, she calls the sycophant priest. That's what she labels them. Ooh. Like, yes, ever the cynic. She hates them just as much as Paul does. And when we get to her room, her room is also like Paul's mic, because she's not just going to have a normal room, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a desert, and it's, or I'm sorry, a tent. A and desert. It's, well, it's desert mementos are right. all strewn about. In the same way, Paul had those jars with all those little knickknacks from uh, Tabar, right? Uh, some sand from Cheney's birth home and stuff like that. And she, as, uh, as Aaliyah comes in, she dismisses her Fremen Amazons that Stilgar had assigned to her. Ooh. What'd you think of those guns? 
I'm an Amazons. That's really dope. I don't know. And it's going to be a precursor to a, a female army way down the road. Oh. I think we'll be able to draw a straight line kind of back to this. Um, but she views them as watchdogs put on her. She's like, mm. oh, okay. Is that like, and they're assigned by Stilgar. Is that a little. Does she have something against Stilgar here? Or at least like wants to keep some barrier between them, right? Maybe. Doesn't appreciate it. Maybe she feels the same way that Paul does about him. It's like now that he's like. Less of a man and more of a like a, a zealot. Mm-hmm. Like it's he's not the person you really want around you anymore. Yeah, and I mean it might even not be so negative, but just knowing they're gonna they're watching me for a reason. Yeah, you know? right. Might not care. She probably understands the reasoning for it too. Of like everyone's spying on everybody. It's mm-hmm. like uh like how Irulan knows. I know my father tried to kill me, but that's what dads do in imperial houses. <laughs> Yeah, it just is. I think it might be par for the course. Um, but the, these uh, these watchdogs, if you will, they leave because uh, ultimately they are much more afraid of Olia than they are of Stilgar. Like that's a safe bet. Olia's yeah. ruthless. So Olia, keeping uh, her kind of juxtaposition with Paul and doing what he does, she's going to strip down now and going to get naked except for her Chris knife. And she's that's all you need. Yeah, really. That's I'd feel naked without it. Uh, (laughs) And she proceeds to take a bath. So a bath, a bath. This is interesting. This is is a a watershed moment, if you will. Yeah. Um, Because and then Aaliyah is going to get down uh, for her own terrible purpose as well. That's going to show up. Mm -hmm. We get a little splash of this. And I love this. So she gets in that water. Right. And she just says he was near. She knew. The shadow figure of a man she could sense in her future, but could not see. It angered her that no press, no power of prescience could f- put flesh on that figure. He could be sensed only at unexpected moments while she scanned the lives of others, or she came upon a smoky outline in solitary darkness where innocent lay coupled with desire. He stood just beyond an unfixed horizon, and she felt that if she sustained her talents to an unexpected intensity, she might see him. He was there, a constant assault on her awareness. Fierce, dangerous, immoral. Ooh. That's, so, that's a lot. So the shadow figure of a man that's in her future, no power of her prescience can pierce it to see who it is. So meaning that they are prescient or somehow like veiled by someone with prescience. Awesome catch. Definitely. There's something to that. Which which do you think it is? I don't know. Who do you think it is? I mean, obviously hates a a suspect. Yeah. But like Sidetail also, Sidetail's just sort of skulking around. And I don't know who he's with. Maybe that's why you can't put a face on him. Maybe. You oh. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. How do you put a face on the faceless? Interesting. That's a good catch. Uh, anyone else you think? I don't know. Uh, no, I think that's what I got right now. So you think we're down to we're down to hate a war Sightail, right? As our main one, he's not a fish flinging around, so we're not thinking Edric. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a shadowy fishman. Yes, that would be so great. A shadowy fishman. He keeps spelling out words to me. Hello. Who is this fishman? <laughs> He's so intoxicating. Would you like to know about your name? <laughs> no, I'm good. Uh, but yeah, I like this. This is going to come up a few more times, and mm. we will unmask him Scooby-Doo style at the end. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> a 
Lovely. Yeah, you know, much of like terrible purpose ultimately sure. showed up. I was like, haha, I'm just your racial unconscious. <laughs> like, yeah, we're gonna meet this uh this uh mysterious solitary dark figure. But, oh, when innocence lay coupled with desire, which is a very Aaliyah thing. Yeah. These juxtaposed emotions binding them together. She is this walking oxymoron. Now, back to the bathing though, Mike. Because bathing is a habit Aaliyah learned. She learned from her Reverend Mother memories. Because there's no Fremen alive in her memory that's telling her to do this. Right. But there's a guy as Helen Mahayim with some sore feet who is just <laughs> like, maybe we just fill this up. We put some, like, you know, candles around, and we just crawl in. And Aaliyah loves it. Like, I think it's really weird that she's able to enjoy this. I think she should be repulsed by it. Yeah. Like, just, she's got... I mean, like, with everything, it's like, oh, the desert's calling me back. Yeah. But she... And then I go like get in the pool 50. of water. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, pick a lane. <laughs> Stay in it. And uh, we're going to focus on the tile work. And we get another tile work of sea imagery. So, like, somebody's making bank. I hope this is Butte's new business. I hope oh. he got out of the water game <laughs> and he got into the fish tile game. He got into the ocean game. Apparently, everyone wants ocean yeah. tile work. I bet there's even, like, uh, I mean, no one on Arrakis knows what a fish looks like, Mike. You can, you can really do anything. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're probably all wrong. It's like a cat. Like. <laughs> No, no, that's a whale. <laughs> it's like a T-Rex in one. <laughs> uh, but then she kind of snaps back. And this, this person on the edge of her awareness is taunting her at this point. He was near. It was lust intention with chastity, she thought. Again, putting those two together. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's basically... She, she's. She's the 15-year-old girl. This is kind of like yeah. what we were talking about before, Mike. We're like, the virgin harlot makes sense. This body has never had sex or experienced right, any right, intimacy, right, right. but she's done everything. Right, she's, right, right. She can look back. She can play it back in her mind. She knows the smells, the taste, the sound. But, like, it's never actually right. happened. Fair, it's, fair. It's very weird. So, like, that is all it is. Um, and now it's just getting, like, bundled up. So I really think this is, a like... The hormones of the body clashing with the mind that has been like oh, totally. set into it, right? Like all the stuff taken from other people's minds. Because she says her flesh desired a mate. Like that's just a push for it. And then mm. it tells us, yeah, her reverend mother memories can fill us in. You know, who's presided over the CH orgies. Which is, this is where I push back. Where I'm like, I think they were banging in the CH. Just possibility. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, th I thought it was more like a mental thing, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was the the full party. So now uh, we got to reassess how Jameis got his <laughs> wife again. Of, uh, <laughs> that exactly went down during the tower. <laughs> now, uh, yeah. Oh, boy. But so right now we're just sort of going to identify this person as her lust. Lust manifest is mm -hmm. the best we can do. Uh, she abruptly, she gets up and she moves over to the training room and basically is like, I, I need to do something, right? I need to just work this out of my system. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm going to do to like get my body back under control. And she goes in naked into the training chamber, which adjoined her bedroom. The chamber, oblong and skylighted, contained the gross and subtle instruments which tone the Bene Gesserit adept into ultimate physical and mental awareness preparedness. Ooh. Yeah, I loved the idea of, like, looking over this table of just, like, weird devices. And, like, they got some cool names. Like, the nomemic amplifiers, like, okay, it's just going to help you memorize stuff in this. But Digit Mills from Ix. 
digit bills. What are you? I'm imagining like a old Nintendo Power Gauntlet. Oh, I was thinking more like you know, like those uh, grip enhancer things that have like the springs. Yep, yep. But like I don't know, like very like fine tuned. Yeah, yeah. I I was thinking it would just be like overarching, yeah, and be able to manipulate each muscle or put pressure on muscles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's something like really attached to your hand in some minute way. Uh, <laughs> just imagining a Leo with a power gauntlet, like the whole whole hand. Odor synthesizers to test, like just giving you like Ooh. odors with flashcards, essentially, right? Yeah, like, yeah, what's yeah. that smell? What's that smell? What's that smell? Uh, tactility sensitizers, so you can leave messages on the bottom of leaves, perhaps. All right. Uh, temperature gradient fields. Love that one. Just being able to like detect the smallest change in temperature and exactly how much it is. Yeah, I think especially being able to tell yourself too humidity as well. I bet uh, pattern betrayers. That is a cool Ooh. one. Given that uh, I think Jessica made such a point of telling us that every school has a pattern. You can't erase it. You can do your best to cover it up, right? A little mm-hmm. bit, and that's what she's gonna do. Um, we got any other cool ones in there? Oh, oh. Um, Alpha wave response trainers. Okay. I got nothing there, but. Do you know what an alpha wave is? It's a it's a type of brainwave, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, there's like five major brainwaves. And, uh, I mean, they're at levels of consciousness, I think. Uh, I don't know where. Cause isn't they like have a to del- do. Is yeah. it delta wave like you're dreaming? Uh, yes. Uh, alpha wave is more like a relaxed kind of wave. Okay. Uh, it's the kind of thing you get like. Uh, and uh, like sometimes I'll put on an app to like sleep. I'll put on like the sound of rain, and that just relaxes me. That's the kind of thing that produces alpha waves. That sense of relaxedness. Mm-hmm. All right. So you think? Oh, it's so just, it could be like sound. It's like your brain is aware, but it's not concentrating on anything. No, yeah. So like the response trainer, though, would it just be like emitting sounds, perhaps? Maybe to to initiate an alpha wave response. Probably, yeah. All right, something like that. So. Then we Honestly, ha- probably exactly the same thing I was just mentioning, just being able to activate it on a whim without right, any... With, and with, like, very specific intent. Right. Uh, like, even better scale, obviously, too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty gnarly. We also have uh, blink synchronizers uh, to tone abilities in light-dark spectrum analysis. Ooh. Yeah. So I'm not even sure exactly what that means. Of like, fucking with your eyes, but is it helping you work in those, but... Yeah, I mean, I think she's got a little bit of dark vision to her. I guess, yeah, that's what we're going we're gonna to round her up and just be like, I think only I can see 30 feet in the dark. All right, um, she's good for one dungeon. Well, he is a cat. The cat is a whale. <laughs> yeah, all right, got it, got it. <laughs> and then along... Wait, 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 we got, but the whale has fur. Of course, oh, always. Mm. Is there another kind? I don't know. Don't the whales have fur on their tongues? Isn't that what we got? <laughs> <laughs> that's a deep hole we fell down. Uh on one wall, Aaliyah also wrote a Bene Gesserit Creed to help her with this training. And Ooh. they say it's a mnemonic paint, which I'm like, I don't know Mnemon- what that... Mnemonic. Yeah, which, yeah, sorry, which is just still like a memory paint. Yeah. And like, what would that be? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> which is, um, and it says, before us, all methods of learning were tainted by instinct. We learned how to learn. Before us, instinct-ridden researchers possessed a limited attention span often no longer than a single lifetime. Projects stretching across 50 or more lifetimes never occurred to them. The concept of total muscle nerve training had not entered awareness. Ooh. Yeah. She's wrong, though. (laughs) Oh? We totally have done um, projects that span across lifetimes. Yeah, sure. 
We have a really cool one that goes on, uh, still going on right now. Uh, do you know how long you can save a seed for, plant it, and it will still grow? Uh, no. Neither do any scientists, because we're not done with the experiment yet. But one guy in the 1800s had that idea, and he's like, I want to know, like, if I got these seeds, like, could I do it next That's year? That's not even close to 50 lifetimes. So what he did, Mike, is he they started doing it each year. He took glass bottles. They're all whiskey flask bottles. Mm-hmm. And he buried them around the university. And they would dig them up uh, every year. And they'd open it, pour it out, and, like, see if they would seed. And, like, after a few after, like, five years, it was like, oh, this is working every time. Like, I only plant, I only buried so many. Like, we have a finite number of bottles that he started with this year. So then they're like, all right, we're going to do it, like, every five years. They did that for a little while. They're like, we need to really put this back. We're at the point now, like, we do it every 20 years. They just went and got, they COVID actually uh, slowed this down. They had to stop uh, and postpone it for like eight months. Oh, they just went back in the last like six months, and the guy dug it up. And now we're doing it every twenty years, and we only do a few of them. Still going. It's over a hundred years. Uh, and I think they're looking to like they keep being like we're going to run out of seeds. I'm like, why don't we just wait forty years? Like clearly this is going to keep working. Like just really stretch the fucking timetable out. But. There's only one living person who knows where all the seeds are at the university. Jesus, yeah. that's putting all your eggs into a basket. Oh, no, there's ways to get around, but he's like, I think I'm like, right now I'm the only one. He's got like a map down. Okay, good. But like, they just don't let it up so like college kids can't go and just dig these fucking right, things. Right, because that would just, yeah, destroy yeah, them. Yeah, but they're, uh, he wanted them, they're in bottles so that they get affected by the temperature and everything. They're just not affected by the humidity so they won't okay, seed. Sure. But he wanted them to be like hit by all the elements so it's just seeing like how long can a Very seed last. Cool. And it's like, so far, the answer's forever. That's really awesome. It's, real, it's life just like held in little uh, hibernation. I, w- I would like to push back on this, though. It's like, yes, they last more than one lifetime. She's talking about 50 lifetimes, though. Okay, that's yeah. Like, oh, that's, well, that's one seed experiment I can cite for you, though. It's like Pharaoh's like, I'm going to start an experiment, and now we're still doing it today. I don't think that's the case. Uh, what about like the international? Well, I guess the international hasn't had the time. It probably hasn't passed a lifetime yet. I don't know. I think like I'm so- just going by like 50 lifetimes in yeah. Dune. A lifetime's like a hundred years, we'll say. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah. that's five millennia. Yeah, yeah. I kind it's of kind think- of a long time. Conceptualized. Yeah. And I mean, right she's definitely alluding to like the breeding program. Yeah, right? just the idea like, that like that's we, our biggest. Benny Jesuit think in the long term always. Mm-hmm. And the religions. Like, they've had 90 generations to do the breeding program. Yeah, how'd that work out for them? Not so hot. <laughs> Trip to the finish line, Derek. We're so close. <laughs> the college kid dug it up. <laughs> we, we learned how to learn, not how to finish. But uh, also, like, this reminds me of uh, that quote with Paul. The first thing that Moadib learned was that he could learn. Yes. That's so, the thing most people don't. Yeah. But that it's tainted by instinct. Mm-hmm. That that reminds me of like a lot of like uh, Zen concepts where like you have to empty all of your preconcepts before you can learn something. Mm-hmm. Like everything you think you know about it, just forget it. You can always accept it as a novel experience. Yeah, yeah. I I think definitely interesting. Tainted by instinct is a cool twist to adding to what we learned from Paul before. Oh yeah, Paul, Paul didn't seem to get this lesson. Nope, it might help him a little bit. <laughs> nope. Uh, it's a cool, it's like building off of that previous quote. I really like well, that catch. Aliyah had the, uh, the benefit of knowing this from the get go. Paul <laughs> had 15 years of trying to figure that out. I don't think you would ever tell someone with prescience hindsight is 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be furious with you. If you even like approach that subject. Yeah. Cause he's going to be like, no, it's not. And he's going to sit you down and explain. <laughs> you have no idea what it's like. What I see now. 
Let's go with what Aaliyah sees, though, because sure. she catches her reflection Ooh. in a prism of mirrors, and we have a fencing training dummy. This is no Thufirhawa. <laughs> this seems like an upgraded version. <laughs> I was going to say that that thing was pretty old. That was beaten. a beat-up old Caladan. This is, like, primo. It's, like, Imperial. got seven arms. Yeah, mi- mirror prisms. It's got LED lights in there. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's gnarly. Um, it plays Darude. Yeah, pretty. That's definitely (laughs) like it just gets faster and faster. Um, And oh, isn't that song called Sandstorm? It's called Sandstorm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Like I said, she's gonna work herself to exhaustion, so she draws out the Chris knife and holds it sinister. Which uh, that's how Fade did it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cruel. And the array of mirrors, it makes it seem like there are several knives, but I love that only one is real. So it's just that's a, such an interesting idea. It's a little funhouse game, a funhouse mirror fight that kills you, yeah, or tries to. I'm kill sure you. there are movies with that. In fact, I know there are movies with that. Definitely, yeah. Um, so by uh, completing a level, it turns on a red light only to give you more distractions. Like it's just bells and whistles going, shiny objects, tinsel swings around. The best fighters top out at seven lights, and Aaliyah is going to make it to 11. And I love it. She just starts going, right? And yeah. It's very, I, I like how it's, she's so in her head of just like well, one light, two light, faster, faster, four lights, five lights. Also, she's got a dagger. This thing has a long sword. Is that what it says? Yeah. It gives it like uh, specifically? Yeah. She saw the long sword waiting on its brackets against the target. Nice. Yeah. I mean, hey, that's all you need, Chris Knife. Oh, wait a second. Hmm. Oh, so she has a sword and a knife. I'm reading this wrong. So we had, we had, we just had a quick break and a back and forth here. We were looking, trying to figure out uh, where the sword comes into play. So this sword is sitting on its brackets against the machine. She is taking the sword. It feels right in her hands. And then she also drives her Chris knife from the thong around her neck. And she holds it in her left hand. Because yes. we remember that sinister means like towards the left yes. when it comes to uh, combat and blades. Yep. So she's dual wielding against this thing more or less, and she's using the long blade in order to tap the machine. That extra little bit of reach. Yeah, because so she takes that sword and it goes through the shield because this thing has a little shield right. resistance and taps it, comes back. So now she has the Chris knife, the long sword. Fighting against this bladed machine. This mirror machine. Yeah. All right. So that's cool. The dual wheeling part I definitely missed, uh, I think, when I was getting my stuff ready for it. So she starts whirling, starts mm-hmm. fighting. Ting, 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 ting. Counter keeps going up and up. She goes well past seven, right? These right. lights are glaring. She gets it to uh, 11, I think. Does it mention... Uh, how far? I, I mean, I thought she was gonna just go on forever. Well, she had never done eight before. Seven. Eight, that was, you know, I was just I was waiting for her to double what the sort of. I was waiting for fourteen to just like right, just right, double right. it. You already got past ten. That's crazy. But as soon as she gets to eleven, something flashed past her shoulder, slowed the shield aura around the target, slid through, and tripped the deactivating stud. The lights darkened. But I love this, Aaliyah. She whirls in anger. And then, like, in that moment, too, realizes, like, kind of processes what happened. Like, oh, no, that was an amazing throw. Right, it's like, someone sh- someone turns off your video games. You're like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, but, like, to turn it off requires, yeah. like, a sniper bullet. Yeah. So she's like, only one person could have thrown that dagger or that blade, whatever, to shut it off. And, of course, it's Paul. It's Paul. Uh, and I like that uh, her own emotions kind of wind down like the dummy. 
in that moment Ooh. where like she's amped up but as soon as she really that it's like oh rationalization comes in mm. and all this sort of like boo, droops down into nothing paul and stilgar are there paul's pissed not yeah. happy. He's gonna he's gonna have a dad he's moment like, right here. What are yeah, really he is. They're like protective older brother. What yeah. are you doing? That was stupid. He, he says that, but he was doing the same shit himself. Yeah, but she should know better. Oh my god though. What? What how do you not think? She has like 80 reverend mothers in her head. Paul was a 15-year-old boy. Still a 15-year-old girl. With 80 reverend there's like still a 15-year-old girl. I don't know. You don't get it. <laughs> She was preborn. She has the so, she has the body of a fifteen year old girl. We just said that her body and her mind are sort of doing a battle right now. That's true, and she's doing this to work out like all this frustration in her body. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. All right, all right. Nonetheless, Paul's gonna scold her, and uh, yeah, I think it's Paul scolds her, and Stilgar he's gonna pile on though too, and Aaliyah. She thinks of, like, recognizes she's nude as rationalization kind of comes back to her. She thinks to cover up, and then is also, like, amused at that. And again, that's the Reverend right. Mother Aaliyah. That is, like, the fully, like, uh, strange Aaliyah that's been through life where she's just like, oh, oh it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Who, who are we talking to? Uh, and Paul also notes his attraction to her in this and just like, how odd that is. Excuse me? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a reflection back to, like, that time when he first realized, like, she was a fully grown woman again, right? Right, like, right, Just right. being like, these, this keeps piling on here. And uh, Aaliyah knows that Stilgar is, is angry, but she hears awe in his voice. He is the one yeah. who's really like, oh. <laughs> I mean, that was really That's hot. why she's saying Aaliyah of the knife. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I, I love this, where she's like, I'd have made it to 12 if he hadn't interfered. I'm just like, you're immediately going to like hit at your brother there. Mm. I'm just like, a sibling quarrel is going to bust out here. And she asks them, of like, why do the damn things have that many lights if you're not supposed to try for them? That's what I think every time I look at those RPM gauges on my car. <laughs> yeah, you want to read um, Paul's response? A Benny Gesserit should ask the reason behind an open-ended question, Paul asked. Yeah. So like... Of course, that's why. Yeah, yeah. We don't put limits on some things. As someone with unlimited power should understand, like mm-hmm. that is how we always describe the prescience. She's like, I bet you never even tried for more than seven. Yeah. <laughs> Paul's just like, did you see me throw that dagger? Yeah, she said her anger is returning. And it's like, uh, looking at him, his attentive posture began to annoy her. And at that, I think that's the attraction. And this is sort of like Frank using a euphemism there mm-hmm. of like, that's what he's staring at her. He's staring at her naked body. Cause again, Paul is also just a man. I mean, even just barely, right? How old do we say he's like turning 30 ish? Yeah. We're 12 years on top of 18. Uh, and then Paul tells us this great line, which I, I wish I had more for Mike, but I don't, it's nowhere in the encyclopedia, but he says just once Gurney Halleck caught me on 10. My punishment was sufficiently embarrassing that I won't tell you what he did. Which I'm like, oh, go go back in Jessica's mind right now. It's yeah, got to like, be in there. It it's got to be in there somewhere. <laughs> the, uh, they make the uh, one-way glass see-through and Paul gets all the orphans <laughs> eating cake with Gurney and Leto and having a grand time. That, no, I think Paul got like a like a public spanking. Oh, something ridiculous something, like that. So, I think Gurney took him out to mm. like... Some place where all the women in town were and yeah, just yeah. gave him a bare ass spanking of <laughs> the, the Duke's boy. I did like, oh no, just sufficiently 
brought him down, and that was the day Paul grabbed some sand and went into Gurney's room. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, ha ha! I bet, I bet. Um, now at this point, even Aaliyah is starting to think like, "Hey, my eyes are up here." Yeah. And, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> and speaking of embarrassment, she brushes past them and puts on a robe, and uh, she's sweaty and sad now. And we get the poiscoitum uh, sad. Now, this is kind of cool. Okay. I ended up looking this up. Poiscoit. I was like, okay. I, I mean, this is clearly like after sex sadness, right? Sure, sure, sure. This is part of a phrase, Mike. Okay. Poiscoitum omni animalium triste est. Okay. After sex, all animals are sad. Damn. And I, yeah, you know that kind of thing? It's like, huh? 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 <laughs> <laughs> Just in a, in a ray of like, I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm like, you know, I've been there. <laughs> playing off that sadness. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You're kind of just like, well, there's that. Now, it was the uh, a shortening of that, though. There was another phrase to that, okay. um, which it said uh, a shortened version of the Latin phrase, post coinum omne animal triste est, sive galas et mulier, which means uh, after sex, all animals are sad, except for roosters and women. And this was attributed to a Greek doctor and a philosopher, Galen. And I wanted to be like, I think you're projecting a little bit here of like, maybe the women were glad it was over with you. Like, maybe this is a Galen problem. Now the roosters though, I can't contest that. I, can't, I can't contest that. Like he might have all the evidence in the world for the rooster claim, but I feel like he got it wrong on the other one. But back to Aaliyah. Back to Aaliyah. <laughs> she is asking, why the fuck are you guys here? I'm just trying to have some me time, and oh. you're all up in my business now. Paul is looking at me real weird. How uh, how long do you think she would have gone? How uh, I mean, I was thinking 14. Are there only 14 pips on it? No, I mean, I don't know. I just, let's double. It's clearly an open-ended system. Like, I don't think there is Maybe, a... maybe, I guess, maybe Paul's I think... point is that she probably would have kept going. What, what do you, what do you, th- I think she would have broken it. If you think so? If, if we're really going to play it out and I like, don't know, maybe. if Frank was still in charge, yeah, I, I think we would have just broken it. All right. I think she's that good. I mean, you're not going to kill her. True. You know, like, I just, I'm just saying, like, you're clearly, a, that's not a possibility, but. Uh, well, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I know. You want to entertain the realistic thing and the literal, like, literal is in the book wise. Uh, if Paul hadn't walked in, do you think she would have just kept going? Right, right. But you're just you're, you're leaving me to deal with the open ended, uh, right? The open ended system, though. We're like, there's no end to the sword thing. So what? Do you, it's either like she either goes till she dies or she breaks the machine. Are the only two options I see that. Sure. Because I don't think she's a quitter. If that's, that's what I want to <laughs> get down to. Well, I think the point is she would have done it until she probably got injured. Okay, I like it. Oh, yeah, you think because uh, she's think- doing this to work out frustration. Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe Paul senses that, and that's why it's just like, what are you doing? That would see that would have even been a cool a cool ending too for this of like uh, her bleed. We don't really see our characters bleed that much. No, they don't bleed. We don't. They, never, <laughs> never, never. Yeah, they just don't really get injured too often. No, yeah, very strange. Now let's carry on with this, Mike, because uh, Stilgar he's got a folder with him. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> In a way, he's got something he wants to bring up. Uh, well, he wants to bring up something else. But his tone of voice makes uh, even makes Aaliyah turn to stare at him. Oh, because he's he's just distracted at this point. He was coming here to do business, but mm. he's just like there's an obvious situation. He's looking at Paul, looking at Aaliyah, like guys, <laughs> guys, what's going on? Yeah, and we gotta we gotta get Paul and Aaliyah caught up. They're finally behind somebody for the first time, I think ever. They're not ahead. Like Stilgar is ahead of them. This is amazing. Uh, Paul continues continues on though, and he mentions that look. 
we're here because Irulan suggested. And uh, uh, <laughs> red flag on the field. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, yeah, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, what were guys Helen's orders? Put them alone together in a somewhat intimate situation if you can. Check. <laughs> Check. I think it worked. Still guard, did you really need to be there? <laughs> <laughs> if anything... That's the fortunate thing. Yeah. What if Stilgar wasn't here? I don't know, and I don't want to think about it. I, it might have. It. I. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might have worked. Oh uh, God. I think it would have got the ball rolling in an inappropriate I'm, way. I'm. I'm not gonna lie here. I'm really hoping this doesn't happen, but I. I think because I think Frank's trying to force it though. You realize if they do hook up, it's also Paul's mom. Oh God. And grandma. Dude, Atreides. <laughs> the whole line. <laughs> no. Even Becca with a K oh, God. <laughs> might be in there. Um, let me. Uh, oh, so Paul he tells Aaliyah that look, our enemies are about to do something, and this is when Stilgar kind of cuts in again. I'm just like, <laughs> Paul's like, what? oh, you want to tell her why we came down here? Still, is that why you're cutting mm-hmm. in? All right, Stilgar, you tell her, and then. Uh, Frank is very vague on what Stilgar sees so plainly here. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, I, I think it. I think Paul just has an erection. And I think <laughs> it's like I think it's just that obvious to Stilgar of just like clearly Paul is attracted to his sister. Stilgar noticed this because he looks. He continues to stare at Aaliyah and he says, "Sire, are you blind?" <laughs> Which is like again, Mike. What is the one thing that hate had? Metal eyes, oh. vision. Not being able to see, sire, are you blind? That is a cutting question for us. Paul turns back to Aaliyah. Uh, a feeling of unease beginning uh, beginning to fill him. Of all his aides, only Stilgar dared speak to him in that tone. But even Stilgar measured the occasion by its need. This one must have a mate, Stilgar <laughs> blurted. There'll be trouble if she's not wed, and that soon. Ah. Uh. And this, uh, I love this. So in that moment, Stilgar has just like knocked both of them back down. Now they are in their bodies. Now they are just simple people. She is a little girl. Paul is his like untrained boy again. And I I love it. Aaliyah, she has to turn away. Her face is flushed. She has no idea how Stilgar affected her so. And it's like hormones, girl. Yeah, like, yeah, that, that's how. Yeah, you, you actually, I feel like, again, the Reverend Mother should at least be able to chime in to tell St- you. You think Stilgar's, Stilgar just went like dad mode engage? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? He, I mean, I think he kind of even tells us, wait, what do you mean? Uh, in what way? Just the way that he's talking to Paul. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think so. It's like superseding everything. It's like, no, we got to talk. And well, I love what they end up touching back on of the way Stilgar, like why Stilgar is qualified to give this kind of advice. Because mm-hmm. uh, Aaliyah tries to shame Stilgar. And she's like, ah, Stilgar the Fremen offers like advice to young maidens. And this is that great moment where it's like, no, Stilgar, he's the only one in this room with lived experience. Mm-hmm. on this level he's been married like three times True. he's got kids he's raised kids like none of you have done that paul you tried i'll give you but your kid didn't make it Ooh. <clears throat> Too tough crowd and he says as i love you both i must speak stilgar said a profound dignity in his tone i did not become a chieftain among the fremen by being blind to what moves men and women together one needs no mysterious powers for this now, again, he does say powers. That's Stilgar the creature right there. Mm-hmm. That's a shame that that shines through even in that moment. 
But Paul processes Stilgar's meaning as a mentat. And Aaliyah catches that because Paul makes a mentat summation, right? Now, how do you think Aaliyah feels about being part of a mentat computation? Because she does go to the length to point it out to us, the reader. Mm, I don't know. Because like, I'm wondering if this is like maybe one of the few times it's happened in her and Paul's relationship where she feels like she's been re- reduced to a data point. I don't know. I didn't actually think that deeply into this. I, I just thought it was interesting that she like is like telling us like, oh, why? He just did that to me. And I was thinking maybe it's something that he doesn't turn on her often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that usually their relationship has been maybe somewhat natural. Uh, but Paul is like, look, we can't delay why we came down here, though. We do have a real problem on our hand, right? And aware that she dared not uh, not try to match logic with her brother, Aaliyah put the past few moments aside, Bene Gesserit fashion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Paul's thinking, like, that's right. Tell Stogar, I will see to it. Aaliyah and I will discuss this later privately. Which is the, what we don't want, though. That's what we just talked oh, about. Oh, yeah, that's a... Oh, it's sort of like a... <laughs> it's like we just went through all this trouble to, like, neutralize Sidetail's plan, and Paul's like, put it back in motion. One more time, Sidetail. I got you, I got your back, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. I'm like, you almost got away. Again, oh. Paul, you had the out. Still or got- this is uh, not Sidetail's plan. Uh, guys, Helma Hyam's plan. Uh, okay, shoot, thank you. Yeah, it is every, oh, so many plans. Plans within plans. You're right, but that is a totally, this is them trying to pocket a Quissage Hot Rock, right, right, but right. they still got time. Um, I love that. So, Paul, he makes that Mentat computation, but also closes the book on this. Mm-hmm. We're done talking about this. Stilgar, I get your family. You're the one person who can bring this up, but, like, not, not past this point when I say it's done. Mm-hmm. And Stilgar, he gets that. And Aaliyah even gets that because she realizes uh, she aware that she dared not try to match logic with her brother. She put the past few moments aside, Bene Gesserit fashion. And she said, Irulan sent you. And, uh, she found herself experiencing menace in that thought. <laughs> oh my God. Do you think that's prescience or like Maybe. just hatred of Irulan? Both. Column A, column B. <laughs> I wouldn't make you rule it out, of course. Yeah, I wonder if that's just a little like uh, you should feel that. There's a turbulence in the air, right? Yeah. And uh, it's it was an indirect prompt from her, though. Sort of like an offhand thing. Because, like, she's actually giving him other news. Like, yeah, uh, almost like disguising her real intent here. I like, yeah, Paul follows up. He says, indirectly, the information she gave us confirms our suspicions that the guild is about to try for a sandworm. Like, ooh, okay. That's, so w- uh, we know from the histories that, like, people aren't able to transplant worms off of rackets for whatever reason. Yes. Even though I think we, we came to a conclusion, we think they probably came from another world and, like, terraformed a bit on Arrakis. Conclusion is a very bold claim there. <laughs> we entertained some possibilities, yeah, uh, between the two. We came to a consensus. <laughs> yeah, between the two of us. Us and Muerte. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely want it to be, but it's like, it seems, it's very difficult. It seems you have to have the sand of Arrakis for them to go into. And I, I mean, we're going to get into this a little bit here. Initially, though, I wonder... Is Guy's Helm Mahayam selling out the guild a little bit in turn for their perfidy, Mike? Maybe. Like she gave ear did ear was that supposed to come from Irlon as a little revenge for selling out Guy's Helen to the jail cell? 
Oh, I don't know. Maybe? When, like, granted, we don't really know how guys Helen ended up in that jail cell. So this coalition's already falling apart. Oh, I mean, I think... <laughs> the conspiracy, everyone's all for one now. I think so. We had the one meeting. That was a good day. This is the best day for the conspiracy. <laughs> I think there are four separate conspiracies going on. <laughs> we have Edric, Sidetail, Corba, Five. Gaius Helen, and I think Irulan is still kind of a wild card. Yeah. She said, like, you don't know what you're going to buy when you spend me, so... Mm-hmm. No, she's she's in it. I'd say she's no, got no, her own I, agenda. I'm just saying, like, I'm I'm willing. Sure. to Yeah, give her. Oh, you're you're saying definitely a fifth week. Yeah, or yeah. fifth route. Yeah, there's so much going on here. Everyone's pulling thread and running in a different direction. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they they're not on the same page <laughs> at the very least. Uh, and uh, this means that the guild has found uh, a world like Arrakis, perhaps a new world. How have they found a new world? Were they not trying before? I thought they had, like, discovered as much as they could currently. Well, so before, when we talked about that, that was just, like, we went through births of discovery and expansion. Uh, I mean, you know, you think of how limitless stars is, Mike, time. Mm -hmm. There's no way you would always have it. Sure. Eventually, you could just find one. Okay. Uh, But this also means, more importantly, that Fremen are helping them. Oh, yeah, because who knows else? Yeah. That, I mean, Fremen helping the guild. That's a big no-no. That's an, even it's unheard of. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, they struck deals before. What has the guild really done for them? Yeah, no. But I, I do like that it expands on the complexity of the Fremen. Where like, even when Paul first came on, I think Jameis gave us a very cool light for like how diverse the Fremen felt about like even prophecy. Sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, a bunch of people bought in, but like this guy was willing to kill Paul just to be like, nah, I don't think that's the one. So like, I totally get how there could be a little sect that's like, Hey, guild's not that bad. Or like the guild can be a means to an end for whatever reason. Uh, Even though they're like the ancient enemy of, and partly blame for dropping them here. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Oh, what did they say? We like, don't remember the Emperor did. It's just the guild constantly ferrying us across. We, uh, we do remember, Mike, Kyle knew the legions. Kyle, <laughs> That's true. He, they don't blame the Emperor. They blame the Sadokar. Um, Stilgar, though, he takes his Fremen helping is obvious. And then Aaliyah just accuses him like, it's not obvious. How could you be so obtuse? Ooh. And I'm like, oh, coming in hot. And I'm, I'm like, she's right. Yeah. You know, it could still be other things. But at the same time, like... Stilgar is on, you know, that's the role he plays. Uh, but Paul, he says, look, the rot has set in or is setting in. And they could be using steersmen to hide the planet like they do with the two piles. And like, oh, that's cool. I like that. Just a little. I mean, it would make sense. Definitely. I mean, like, especially like if you found it, be like, this is like our top secret thing. Absolutely. You right would now. put. All your resources. Right. It would be like immediately elevated to your number one priority. Uh, and Stilgar's reaction to this is significant given his mission statement is always like to find fault in Moadib. That's what he told us he was doing in the beginning. He wants to bring him back down to a person. Mm-hmm. Stilgar opened his mouth, closed it without speaking. He had the overwhelming sensation that his idols had admitted blasphemous weakness. Ooh. Yeah. Well, that they're not infallible. And, yeah, that they can be, like, hoodwinked by the guild. Yeah. Outmaneuvered in this power that they have. And, like, no, it's just an ability, Stilgar. Like, it's nothing significant. It's just another sense. Paul, though, he's going to ask Aaliyah her opinion on whether they should increase watch on the bled for a lighter. 
So should we just literally put more eyes out in the desert to try to physically see the steersman come down? Because we're not going to be able to do it with prescience. Right. They know they're going to put a steersman even on the ship coming from orbit just to mask it and like fuck with uh, Aaliyah and Paul. What was Paul saying before when prescience fails, he used spies? Yeah. Yeah. Spies upon spies. Uh, but we need uh, to deploy Melange. <laughs> Malarns, spicy. <laughs> oh my god, he would do it in a second. I, I, he would be our hero. Uh, but like, it, it's gonna be kind of pointless. And Aaliyah recounts, though, the seeing of the Dune Tarot and her kind of thoughts on it. Her, like, look, this is all, all this is tied together. None of this is like a coincidence. Like, a lot of players are fucking with us right now. I, why does she bring that up? Why what? The Tarot to Paul. She does. She recounts it. Oh. It's, uh, yeah, it's said in text. Uh, she doesn't actually go through the motions of it. Oh, gotcha. Just like, and five minutes later. Exactly. Okay. And I'm like, thank thank God, Frank. You know who would have walked us through it? Edric. <laughs> <laughs> Every moment. Yeah, so, like, she is basically, and I, I like that we're getting two brief synopsis. Even we didn't really follow her when she saw them. Mm-hmm. We got a brief telling of it on the balcony of her remembering it. And now it's just, even again, recounted, done. Check that one off. Uh, we don't really want to know what happened at that cart with these tarot cards. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Aaliyah killed somebody. And uh, we're, we're, another body was found in the district, Mike. <laughs> um, but I love this. And Paul, he's going to, he takes it in, but Stilgar is going to advocate for more patrols up there. With adequate patrols, we might prevent. We prevent nothing forever, Aaliyah said. It's like, it's inevitable. They're going to keep throwing this out. We can't just, like, put every Fremen out in the desert watching every inch of desert. Like, what what are we doing? Uh, And she didn't like the feel of the way Stilgar's mind was working now. He had narrowed his scope, eliminated obvious essentials. This was not the Stilgar she remembered. Oh. And that's, a, I think, paralleling a thought you and I have reiterated multiple times sure. to this chapter, right? There's Something's happened to Stilgar in moving into this house. Stilgar, well, I mean, lots of things. He's wearing robes. Yeah. 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 Stilgar's an outdoor cat. Like, <laughs> let him be. Let him free. <laughs> not anymore. No, he's got a little bell on his neck so he can't hurt God. the birds. Like... <laughs> I think I want to get a cat and name it Stilgar now. <laughs> that, that's that's even worse. It's <laughs> salt on the moon. You name it Sightail, Mike, and then you dress it up like Stilgar. Uh, but this gets me to one of my favorite points here. And Paul says, like, all right, we must count on them succeeding eventually. Starting the cycle is another matter altogether. Mm-hmm. So again, like what you brought up of like, we can't get the worm to do it. We can't get a worm off Arrakis, so that's totally plausible. But like, then they then, never survive, though. Exactly. And Stilgar is just like, ah, even I have enough ecological knowledge to know that you need to send plankton, the little makers. And he's just, he's replaying his schoolwork in his yeah, head, right? Yeah. And I love it. Like, that's basic Fremen education is all anyone else in the universe needs. If any one of them ever got in to like audit a class <laughs> you would undermine the currency of the universe it would be like finding a way to do like under like uh break a blockchain for bitcoin just sure, like sure. no you broke like that's all you just gotta go to this like community college on arrakis <laughs> it's so silly uh but yeah stilgar is just like hey whatever 
Well, the, I think there, I think there's more to it than that, though. What? The, the, besides, like the little makers. Are the sand plankton different than the little makers? Um, no, no, it's all part of that life cycle. Okay, yeah. Uh, I think because I don't think I've ever heard them called the sand plankton. So maybe sand, sand plankton, plankton is something that's necessary. Maybe something we don't know about. I mean, you don't know about Mike. We know the sand lice. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the sand lice. That's a, we don't know what the, yeah. what the fuck it is though. <laughs> uh, sand. I forgot about sand lice, man. All right, let me continue on. Sure. Though we're so close here. Uh, Stilgar's real uh, uncertainty lay in a different area, though. Mm-hmm. And he asked uh, Paul about Paul's ability to observe the guild again. The limits of Paul of Paul's abilities, perhaps. And uh, Aaliyah studied Stilgar, sensing the savage sideshow of ideas taking place in his mind. He was hung on a rack of enchantment. Magic. Magic. To glimpse the future was to steal terrifying fire from a sacred flame. It held the attraction of ultimate peril. Souls ventured and lost. One brought back from the formless, dangerous distances, something with form and power. But Stilgar was beginning to sense other forces, perhaps greater forces beyond that unknown horizon. His queen witch and sorcerer friend betrayed dangerous weaknesses. Oh, I should love that. That builds up so well to get to Queen Witch and Sorcerer Fred. Yeah. This is like her, her cynical take on Stilgar's worldview and just dressing it up in these terms. Well, no one describes it to him otherwise. So, like, what's he supposed to believe, too? Uh, yeah, I you mean. You know what I mean? Yeah. like, you can't describe it. You can't. Unless you can, like, experience it. It's not something you can feasibly describe to someone and be like, oh, sure, I get that. Mm-hmm. Like, in Stilgar's defense, to the best of his ability, that's what he sees. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. What about the Tau, though? His Tau experience, where, like, he, he has a little more than you're giving him credit for, for, like, sensing of the presence. Sure, but, like... Sensing the presence is one thing, but mm-hmm. how Paul's able to do it, like, so acutely. Sure. Well, in, I mean... In he, his eyes. Because in Paul's eyes, it's like, I don't know what, how I'm writing this thing sure. at all. Sure. Uh, and I would, uh, to build up on the defense of your point, would be like, even Cheney has that prescience, but it always came out in this imagery. Mm-hmm. It was very poetic in how she had to describe it because she couldn't put it in other words. And right. like, I think that it's sort of like what we're seeing with Stilgar, where like, it seems like Stilgar's all manifested in that prophecy, that like that same thing that was like so infected in Liette. Right, mm-hmm. where every time he saw Paul, it's just like you just fit this line of prophecy, and I can't break from it. Even though I'm the scientist, and like Stilgar's the naive, and he's still caught up mm-hmm. in it even more—the ritual and um, uh, tradition of it all—that just goes back so long, and that he was like brought up to reinforce too, like as his role of naive is to make sure these traditions carry on to the mm-hmm. next generation. Just interesting. I love it. And magic. Very rarely do we ever mention magic in this whole series. Yeah. And, like, clearly Aaliyah and Paul don't see it as that. They see it as a very physical, it's a science to them. To Stilgar, though, it's magic. Yeah. You can do anything, right? You can just look in. Uh, is there anything else you want to pull from that one before we get to no, our no, last paragraph let's here? keep going. Let's I keep just, going. Uh, ultimate perils. Souls ventured and lost. Uh, in... This ultimately, I think, brings me to my last few lines here. I want to just kind of read them all. Sure. Uh, it's this little conversation and exchange uh, that ends with Paul. Or 
Yeah, it does end, Paul. And it's Stilgar, Elias said, fighting to hold him. You stand in a valley between dunes. I stand on the crest. I see where you do not see. And among other things, I see mountains which conceal the distances. There are things hidden from you, Stilgar said. You've always said. All power is limited, Elias said. And danger may come from behind the mountains, Stilgar said. It's something on that order, Elias said. Stilgar nodded, his gaze fastened on Paul's face. But whatever comes from behind the mountains must cross the dunes. Mm. I like that. I'm sorry, so it doesn't have a Stilgar. Uh, but I love that it's, it's sort of like Stilgar bringing it back into his realm of power. Like, yes, you guys are on these mountaintops. You're viewing all this. But ultimately, Mike, what are the four things a Fremen can see? Oh, yeah. Love, Love smoke, smoke, a pillar of fire, and a man crossing the open bled of the desert. All right. Because they have to cross the dunes to get to me, is what Stilgar is saying. And I will be there. Regardless. Like, it doesn't matter. You can look through all these turns and turns, but we're going to meet on the open bled. Your powers are for naught, in a way. I love it. Is there What interpretation do you get from that? What, no, that, what is that he is saying good. there? Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know. In a way, like, uh, book one ended with Silgar becoming a, like, transforming into a creature of faith. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what be, it said. Being doomed. Yeah. Yeah. And this, like, I think he's sort of a little bit more grounded. Now that he's had, like, 12 years to sort of experience, like, what's going on, he does see that, like, there are limits to things. Even if Aaliyah says there aren't limits, there are... Certain restrictions. Do you think this is like, we're starting to break that collar around his neck? Right. Like, this is the first, like, real crack in that. It's starting, like, Stilgar is starting to show through a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I li- like, that is sort of him finally seeing, like, your power isn't everything. Maybe, like, it just comes down to this. It's like, it's not me saying it. This is you saying it. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I, like, I think it's a great touch. Oh, well, with that, Mike. I know, I know we, we've been caught up in the, the high-mindedness of things, the prescience and whatnot, but ultimately it all comes down to Chome and Bills. Mm-hmm. Let's go pay them. Let's go pay them. All right, so Alina needs a mate. She needs a partner, if you will. We don't need that, Derek. We got our own partner. So we've partnered with Audible. <laughs> and right now, they're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial when they visit audibletrial.com slash SpiceWorldPod. I was really expecting Match.com to come in here. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I should. I and should. if I got a surprise for you. <laughs> oh, no. So when you sign up, you get one credit that you can use to pick from one of thousands of titles, like Dune, my first audiobook. Oh, very and, nice. Yeah. And if you sign up with your Amazon Prime account, you get two credits instead. Hell yeah. So you pick up Doom Messiah. Obviously. Yes. <laughs> From then on, you'll receive an additional credit each month to help you build an amazing audiobook library. Derek, what are you listening to? Ooh, I mean, Mike, I always dip into a few different things here and there. <laughs> this is one of the uh, those Audible originals. It's kind of like a, it's almost like an audio drama. And it's called Q and A, like the letters Q and symbol A. Okay. And then, is there a word for the and symbol? Ampersand. Ooh, thank, dude, you had that ready to go. Yeah, I'm D&D, man. Q ampersand A. <laughs> and it's by Ben H. Winters. And this is just a really fun, it's only like four hours. It's in four different 
different parts. It's a it's a thriller, a legal thriller. And the synopsis was just like he's writing a legal thriller. It's just research, or is it? <gasps> yeah, and dude, honestly, it's like the first twist you're gonna see coming from a mile away. But I'll tell you the third and fourth twist. I was like, how could you possibly? <laughs> it keeps going and going. It spirals out. Each chapter is just like you pull the mask off this guy. And this one character, you're just trying to figure out who the fuck he is the whole way through. <laughs> it's so cool. You think he's a reporter. You think he's like a, a lawyer. You think he's a writer. Like the final reveal, really worth it. Q&A by Ben H. Winters. It's a great legal thriller audio drama. I love little twists like that. That's that's always get me in it, any medium. It was just so satisfying. And I, I just really loved it. Uh, and so I, I don't want to ruin anything yeah, else for you yeah, guys. Sure. But he's kind of uh, investigating this old murder trial that happened back. And the guy got kind of walked off the case and it was thrown away. And we're like, what happened to this case? Okay. We talked to the prosecutor. We talked to the judge. We go to like one of the witnesses. Like, Cool. What's this book about? I love it. But Derek, yeah, the thirty days are up. What if you don't like Audible? Oh, like that happens all the time. So I was going on on computer. I'm like, all right, Audible, where are we at? And I was trying to click around. This light came up, and it was really distracting. And I was like trying to move away from it. I was like, no, I just want to like cancel my thing. And another light came up, and it's like this is fucking hard. And now it turns out if you go with Audible, they will turn all the lights off, and they will just tell you thirty days cancel. Other websites, they keep distracting you, Mike. You know, lights. 12 lights, 13 th lights. After 30 days, a blade just hits you in the stomach. <laughs> oh, God. Th that's with 30 lights. That's why I don't have Spotify anymore. Oh, uh, so, can't recommend Audible enough. <laughs> in other words, they'll send you a courtesy email and let you know that your 30 days are up. Yeah, if you yeah, want to yeah, cancel. Yeah. That's that way you don't said. get charged. But, hey, regardless, you still get to keep your entire audiobook library. You can keep listening to all you want. Anything you spent those credits on, Dune, Doom Messiah... Those Audible Originals, those are yours for life. All those Brandon Sanderson books you've been picking oh, up. Oh, God, I've got so many, and I love them all. <laughs> nope, Robert Jordan right now. I'm grinding oh, through real time. Oh, there but you go. <laughs> that's another time. We know you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help you get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. Oh, so go, go, guys. Cash it in. Let us know what you pick up with that free trial at audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. All right, let's get back into it. Yeah, I got a good one. All right, Mike, deep dive today, breaking new ground. We're diving into new sand, if you will. All right. I have a, another book here. This is The Maker of Dune, Insights of a Master of Science Fiction, Ooh. edited by Tim O'Reilly. Okay. This is the definitive guide to the life work of science fiction's greatest creator, grandest. Oh, that's a good choice. That's like a safe word to use, grandest. <laughs> it's better than greatest, right? Yeah, like sure. Other people can be grand. Uh, grandest creator, Frank Herbert. Now, the cover art, I love of this. Uh, oh! I've told you before, there's going to be a skull pyramid. Uh, so this is clearly Frank Herbert's face fashioned into the skull pyramid. giant Frank. Yeah, giant stone skull Frank on the skull of Arrakis. That smile is ridiculous. It's like the keyboard cat smile. It's, it's kind of, it's terrifying with like, because the eye sockets are empty. That's what's really fucked up about it. But hey, that's how Frank wanted to go. Um, so... This is a collection of like his works, like a lot of essays and stuff, some about Dune, some about other science fiction stuff, which we are going to get into down sure. the road. Uh, but I wanted to just, you know, dip my feet in the sand, see how dry it is. And uh, I've chosen <laughs> a perfect entry, Mike. Okay. This is Sandworms of Dune. 
Ooh. So, are we going back to worm theory? Pretty much. Ah! Like, we're making a little dip back. And uh, it's a very short one, so I think we're pretty much just going to read this verbatim. And, sure. like, you'll stop me as we need to. Uh, is it going to be a lot? What do you mean? Did I stop you? No. Okay. But I don't, I, not that much, but I think you're going to see uh, why I wanted to kind of do this. Sure, it's like, this sure. is a good starting point. Okay. One. So, again, this is the article Sandworms of Dune from the book The Maker of Dune, edited by Tim O'Reilly. And so this essay was by Frank Herbert. Now, Sandworms of Dune. Even while he is saying flattering things about my books, John Leonard of the New York Times warns that someday my head is going to fall off because it contains so many feverish inventions, extraterrestrial theories of justice, moral sinews, and splendid entertainments. Lest Mr. Leonard's dire prediction come true, I will unburden my head here and now of some of that load, namely the myth construction which went into the material in this recording. Oh, I wonder if this is actually him on audio and they transcribed it. Maybe. He says recording. Uh, The elements of any mythology must grow from something profoundly moving, something which threatens to overwhelm any consciousness which tries to confront the primal mystery. Yet after the primal confrontation, the roots of this threat must appear as familiar and necessary as your own flesh. Ooh. So I love this. All right. For this, I give you the sandworms of Dune. Okay. So, so considering just the sandworms, after your primal confrontation, the roots of this threat must appear as familiar and necessary as your own flesh. So just like... Almost making it, and I think in a sense it's him justifying the realism of it, right? Like, okay. And how the Fremen in encountering the worm have built their whole society around it, right? right. They rely it's on it. It's not that. something you can really ignore. Well, you would die if you did. Yeah. Yeah, you need it. And the Empire needs it to survive, right? Mm-hmm. It gives and it takes. Much like the sleeper who has awakened. Continuing with Frank. They are the mindless guardians of that terrible treasure. They live in the deeps, and when they surface, they threaten all who come upon them. To those who must live daily with such monsters, however, the sandworms are the familiar old man of the desert. In the lair of this mystery, you learn to walk in a different way. You assume a new awareness. Still, this terrifying presence supports your life. The sandworms are the ultimate source of Dune's wealth. Their bodies give up the melange spice, which expends lifespans. And they also produce most of Dune's oxygens, created in the monstrous chemical dissipation of heat, which is produced by the friction of their passage. Did we end up uh, getting into that with the original Dune? I think we touched on it. Just they're kind of like a furnace, and like yeah. they, they are the oxygen system that Yui kind of referred to. Right, it. right, right. It's so weird. <laughs> like no one looks into it in ten thousand years. <laughs> yeah, it is a little weird, though. <laughs> it is Yui. He's very much right. <laughs> this continues, and I, I think you're gonna like this. The dragon who carries the uh, pearl of great price in its mouth. This Ooh. is a mythological equivalent of Dune sandworms. When you watch the dragon dancers at a Chinese New Year's celebration, you participate in a similar mystery to that of Dune's Fremen. Okay. That's kind of cool, right? Sure. Here is Eraspis, the son of chaos and brother of night. It is darkness personified in the passage of Hades. Yet Eraspis is also the father of Ether. And this is in parentheses, the clear air. And of Hamera, 
which is in parentheses, as day. Incest is clearly stated because the mother of these familiar children is the sister, night. Now, that might not be what you wanted to hear after the last <laughs> chapter. <laughs> Did you pick this out on purpose? <laughs> I'm just feeling a little regret, that's all. <laughs> Another matter stated with equal clarity is that women remain the keepers of the dark mysteries and that men invade Ooh. such matters at their own peril. Thus, the Sandworms of Dune and the Trials of the Male Protagonist. Interesting. Also, yeah. very frank going into Greek mythology. Of course, uh, yeah. You know that's what it's all drawn from. And clearly, like, that's why the mystery cult is a direct tie in here. Uh, and where like the, myth, the women remain the keepers of the dark mysteries. Yeah. They were the ones who had the cult of Dionysus. Or, uh, oh, I forgot the temple that it was. Uh, Eleusis. Uh, yeah, Eleusis. Uh, was the temple of Eleusis all run by women. That whole cult thing was managed by women. And, like, they brought men in. You got to go through the ceremony and they get the fuck out because <laughs> this is the women's place. Now, the death of a sandworm contributes the substance which arms consciousness for the transcendence of time. Ooh. That's, that's a lot to take in there. I mean, but it's so clear with the story. But just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's <laughs> But how if you... this is the only thing you're reading, you're like, come again? <laughs> One more time? <laughs> Uh, this is true whether it occurs in the sanctuary of a Sietch cavern or by the natural process of the open desert. To use such a substance, you pay the great price. You no longer live in the protective and gregarious midst of your own kind. Now you are the shaman, alone and forced to master your own madness. You have grasped the tale of the ultimate tiger. Ooh. Now that's Paul and Aaliyah. Aaliyah yeah. especially. Mm -hmm. I love that idea of like, you are now like uh, forced to master your own madness. That definitely kind of describes Paul's journey. If he had, uh, I kind of wish he'd used madness in the first book at some point. Sure. Like yeah. it, like the, you know, the, all the possible futures and he has to keep organized <laughs> and see that would, I, how does that not, if he didn't have that mentat training, I think he yeah, would. Yeah. You, oh my, he would be a different Paul. Yeah. It'd be Paul like circling. Like <laughs> he'd just be like a weird homeless man on Arrakis. <laughs> um, and the Baron would be in charge <laughs> <laughs> to fulfill its role. The sandworm is one vector in a circular process before it's metamorphosis. Uh, it is the sand trout, the leathery creature, which encapsulate and withholds dunes, uh, other treasure. Water. Ah, oh, Mike, you're one step ahead now. <laughs> Thus, the condition which supports it in its new form, it creates the waterless desert. And what is poison to the sandworm? Water. In each instance, the elements of the mystery are intimately related. Sand trout water, sandworm spice. The high value of the geriatric spice rests in the life extension for its users. This naturally sets the stage for life-threatening conflicts. So that's like him as a, I feel like as a writer telling us, like, look, this is just like easy peasy. Like, you want to get a conflict? Here we go. This is going to get me right to where I want to be, A to B. Uh, this continues on. I am saying here that the extension of human lifespan cannot be an unmitigated blessing. Every such acquisition requires its new consciousness. And a new consciousness assumes that you will confront dangerous unknowns. You will go into the deeps. 
So that seems very fair to like, uh, have, I've already told you like Frank, it's always going to take us from like a normal setting. We amp it up to 10, right? And sure. basically it becomes magical, but he's rationalized how we get there each time. And now he's saying with each step I've taken you on, whether it be uh, the Souk doctors, the Mentats, the Bene Gesserit, or the exceptional Atreides, it comes with a cost at each of those steps too. We're like, it's almost like a little bit of your humanity is lost and it's irretrievable and new conflicts are going to arise because of it. Uh, okay. New turmoils within society. And I think we've, we've kind of seen that exercised out, right? Especially with like the Bene Gesserit uh, enforcing like religious wars, probably blooming all over the place. Yeah. You know, things of that nature. It's an old, old story. Every terra incognita has its own rules, which you must learn if you want to survive. When you remain on familiar turf, you know where to walk. You recognize the dangerous creatures which share your world. The poisonous snakes have been identified, and there are antitoxins. In some respects, this is pure myth, but your mythology does incorporate lessons of survival. If you enter new terrain, however... You are the pioneer and the explorer. You are the expendable. This is your function when you go into the deeps. Ooh. That's kind of, so. That's really cool. Yeah, but Paul has dragged the entire empire into the deeps, hasn't he? Yeah. We've jumped off the deep end with everybody. And it's just like, yeah, everyone's expendable now. Paul's expendable. Aaliyah's expendable. Like, we're trying to establish a new standard. But I like how it's just it's just a cycle. Honestly, I'm I'm kind of thinking that like everything's downhill from here unless they change something. Okay, what uh, like just that impression you're getting from yeah. his, what he's saying here? I think he's saying like it's sort of like um it's like loops. We are ever going just forward. Just a vicious cycle. Exactly. Well, well, but constant uh like uh, what I'm thinking of uh remember that old cursive um oh when you're practicing cursive you do the circles. Sure. And you're you're just trying to keep your formations like um very symmetrical. You're okay. going to the top and you're always moving forward though, right? Mm -hmm. And you go across the page. I think that's all. It's like you take a lot of steps back, but you get a little bit forward every time. Cause like we're going to the unknowns, but eventually sure. eventually these unknowns will be known. But it's always it's a trial to get there, mm -hmm. you know? Like uh any anytime we've gone through an age of expansion, there's always like a seemingly a plague period that kind of follows that, right? Sure. We then we get immunities. We move on, and you just keep progressing, keep progressing. We homogenize. Um, I think that's sort of the best we can hope for. But I totally agree, Mike. We're in the downswing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't tell you things are going great in the empire right now. It seems like the weather is all forecasted is very cloudy. Um, now uh, we get to we are towards the end here. It's no wonder that our ancestors both admired and feared the ones who dared the perils of inner exploration. Whether that exploration was ignited by peyote or amnita muscaria or by the trials of pain and self-induced trance. And it's no wonder that such fears remain with us today. Our mythology is not all that different from the Bushmans. These elements remain so deeply rooted in Western culture that to profess even a casual understanding and belief in them is often enough to invite emotional reactions, anything from derision to physical attack. 
That's why I always point out that I don't necessarily believe in such things. I just write about them. There, my head feels much lighter. <laughs> Frank Herbert, Port Townsend, Washington, November 11th, 1977. I love it. Damn. I and like, it wasn't even the worm thing I was thinking. It's more like what the worms represent as a whole. Yeah. So and that's so good. This, he's everything in this book is going to be like him stepping back a little bit. He's looking at the whole, like my work kind of deal. Like what did the sandworms mean in my work? Not like how I got to that idea necessarily. Right. Right. Which right, is right. Like, Cause like I at mean, the end of the no, day, the worms I, don't matter. Just like what they mean. Oh, I was going to say, I do want both answers. But, yeah, uh, I know. I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think that's the cooler one for it. And I love this idea of like, then, parlaying into like the worms are just a price you pay to get to this next level of like almost like human ascendancy in a way though only on Paul's level so far. Uh, but just so interesting. And I love the idea that uh, everything is a price. I think we really got that message in the first book. Yeah. Like I didn't let that go past you by any means. Oh no. Uh, no. And that it's going to continue on. And it seems like, like Aaliyah is going to pay a price. She Ooh. took something different than Paul did. She has to pay a different price than Paul did. That's Frank's MO. Yeah. That's like the only thing he believes in his universe. What do you, what do you think it's going to be? I mean, Mike, again, <laughs> I, I, I know. <laughs> no. Do you want me to tell I'll no, tell you right no, now. No, don't you dare. Oh. I'm sorry. I don't like this game anymore. Yeah, no, you fucking. I don't even know if you would believe me, to be quite honest. <laughs> really? You would think I was fucking with you if I told you. Uh, okay, let's but, not test it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we won't. We won't. Um, no, I don't even want to hear your theory. That's not, you know what I want to do, Mike? What's that? I want to close this, and I want to just pass on to what's our next segment? Oh, okay, like, it's going to be. Oh, oh, no, it's uh, it's Thar Thar's Infinite Thetharis. What? <laughs> Tharthar's infinite Tharthars. Infinite Tharthars? Tharthars. What? Tharthar's infinite Tharthars. <laughs> Explain to me. Well, you got to say it like it's got to rhyme. So I you gotta, can't even say it. You can't say Tharthars? No. Wow. Well, you can't play the game. I guess I'll have to play whatever you got ready. What's a Tharthars? A Tharthars is yeah. what Tharthar calls a Tharthars. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> you didn't even say thesaurus right the second time. I can't if I say Tharthar. <laughs> it literally, like, my tongue goes so far out to say Thar. Uh, I know you're trying to just stall for time, Derek. <laughs> exactly. It's time for Edric's etymology on onomatology. <sighs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't hate you, Edric. I kind of feel like you're the only one in the conspiracy who's got, like, a decent heart. Um <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, you're the only one not fucking around. You're coming around. <laughs> no, I'm not coming around. I'm just acknowledging your presence <laughs> okay, in the room. Sure. Each week, I pick a name from the Dooniverse to dive into its meaning and origins. Derek, I'm going to give you the meaning of the name and see if you can guess who it is. Now, I feel like I'm getting better at this game. I don't think I've gotten one right, really. <laughs> you got one right. Last ah, week, you got Gurney. All right. Oh, yeah, that, that was a really satisfying one. Yeah. I'm like, I know we're not in the chapter. I know how this works. All right. So this week, the word I've got for you, it's going to be going up or ascent. Ooh, okay. Okay. Going up or ascent. <sighs> so words I can kind of pull at for that, I think are only going to be like... I know, like, Spanish has, like, alto means, like, tall. Uh, sube is, like, ooh, on top of. Sun la table is, like, French, I think, for on. So do I know, like, an S? 
apotheosis is like ascension that could get me to paul in a way you're wow you're like you've been doing some homework <laughs> these are these are on the top of my head we went over apotheosis when we did apotheosis of washington of because uh, that sounds like a paul thing at the end i don't recall that oh it's in the top of our capitol building it's really fucked up it's literally, no, i just don't recall us talking about it oh, okay it's literally george washington ascending to god yeah, yeah 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 that shouldn't be in our capitol building <laughs> like, just say um so uh, do you want a hint from the origin? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Hebrew. Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> is there David in there? <laughs> Who are Hebrew names? Shit. I feel like I would have told you that at some point when we came across <laughs> them. Um, It's definitely not Korba. I'm trying to think of like, it's got to be like a Bible, right? Like I'm full of from lore basic. Dunk- Duncan? We didn't do Duncan, right? Did we do? We, we did Duncan. Idaho. We did both. We did both. We did Duncan names. and Idaho. And Idaho. Yeah, that's what it's I, did, I, I gave you a two for one on that one, which I should have done because I'm running out of good good names and stories. Uh, um. All right. I want to lean into almost like is it like a fake out with like Liet? We already used Jessica. That I think is my only biblical one I can lean on. I'm gonna go with. Turning left field and saying Hara. Hara. And okay. I, I got nothing for reasoning. No reasoning? You're just going, you just, you're feeling Hara. I'm just feeling it. <laughs> um, Not Tharthar? No. Okay. That'd be uh, stupid, stupid. So, Hebrew, uh, Aliyah. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. I threw you for a loop. Yeah, it, it means like up or? Ascent or going up. Okay. Now, originally when I did this, I was just like, I looked up uh, the Arabic meaning first. And I'm like, well, you know, Hebrew is going to be a lot older, though. So let me look into Hebrew meanings. And the Hebrew, obviously, if you're Jewish, then you definitely know exactly what this means. So I'll just tell you what I did learn from the Arabic is that Aliyah in uh, Arabic means high or exalted and is the feminine na- uh, version of the name Ali. Ooh, wait. So is high like... Is it a height thing or a stature in society? I think thing? like a stature. Okay. But Hebrew, that's what we're going to get back to. And that's where I really found all this stuff. Uh, Aliyah is the Hebrew word for ascent or going up. Okay. Aliyah is actually the immigration of the Jews from the diaspora to the land of Israel historically, which today includes the modern state of Israel. So basically everyone from that religion and uh, uh, bloodline scattered throughout Europe yeah, which was the, the great Jewish diaspora. Yeah. They went to all these corners of Europe. And then that time you're kind of cute. You said 13th century? It's between the 13th century and 19th century is when it really started. Becoming, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big time When frame. you get to 19th, things get really touched there. But up the 13th, you know what that cues off to me is like um, when the, the Spanish banned the Jews from Spain. And they kicked them all out. Yeah, no, I'm going to get to that. Yeah, uh, yeah. That one is like a huge point of that. Sure, yeah. yeah. It is defined as the act of going up. Uh, that is towards Jerusalem. Moving up to Jerusalem? Yeah. Is that also what... Uh, do they just use that because it was already a, like an ascension kind of word? Well, it's funny because in uh, etymologically, it is both <laughs> as geographically <laughs> and metaphysically the case. Because okay. yeah. when they traveled to the land of Israel, in one opinion, the geographical sense preceded the metaphorical one as the Jews going on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, which is situated uh, 2,500 feet above sea level, had to climb to a higher altitude. The reason that this 
Uh, the reason is that many Jews in early rabbinic times used to live either in Egyptian's Nile Delta and on the plains of Babylonia, which lay relatively low, somewhere around the Mediterranean basin, also from where they arrived by ship. So oh. that you had to, like, climb up to I Jerusalem. Get it. That wasn't the... I was thinking, like, more of a north as up kind of uh, take no, on things. We already no, know no. north is not up. <laughs> Yeah, well, colloquially, you know what I'm saying, though, but on, like, yeah. a map of, like, we accept that's a universal thing. No, I get what they're saying, sure, though. Yeah. And I'm like, there's even though I'm like, that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, I'm not going to take my elevation and be like, am I higher than Jerusalem? Fuck, I'm going down to Jerusalem. But uh, I get it. I get it. I like it. I like the symbolism there. Sure. Uh, did you know that, well, let's see here, the uh, opposite act, the emigration from the land of Israel, is actually referred to in Hebrew as Ureda, which it means descent. Okay. So. Take with that what you will. That, I mean, it just makes sense at that point. Yeah. If we're calling this ascent, that's decent. Now, for much of the history, most of the Jews lived in the diaspora where Aliyah was developed as a national aspiration for the Jewish people. Okay. So, like, this is what's going to bring us together. Yep. Aliyah is an important Jewish cultural concept and is enshrined in Israel's law of return. You know what that is? Uh, well, that's, I think that's part of the idea that like every Jew is welcome to citizenship in Israel, right? Like, yeah, they it's have a, a it's legal a safe right, mm-hmm. specifically. Um, and that's a legal right to assisted immigration and settlement in Israel, as well as Israeli citizenship. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're Jewish, if your parents were Jewish, if your sister's Jewish, if there's any like relationship there that you can like tie into that, then you are welcome there. Pretty sweet. Someone who makes Aliyah is called an Ola or an Ola, depending on male or female. Uh, I guess just in a way means pilgrim. I didn't actually look into the meaning of that specifically. Okay. The numbers of migrating Jews to the land of Israel rose significantly between the 13th and 19th centuries, like I mentioned, mainly due to a general decline in the status of Jews across Europe as a whole. And you even mentioned one, the expulsion of Jews from several countries, including England in 1290. France in 1391, Austria 1421, and Spain 1492. During this period, Aliyah was also spurred by the resurgence of Messianic fervor among the Jews of French, Italy, and the Germanic states, Poland, Russia, and North Africa as well. The belief is that the imminent coming of the Jewish Messiah, the ingathering of the exiles, and the reestablishment of the kingdom of Israel encouraged many who had few other options to make the perilous journey to the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. So this pilgrimage, that's Aliyah. And that's all I have on Aliyah. That's really cool. I love that. That was pretty good. That was all just, just a little history lesson. Hell yeah. I don't think we have any distrance today. It's raining outside, and apparently that's a holy day for Bruno. So oh. he's, he called out. Yeah. Oh, you didn't. Yeah, we signed a contract. I didn't read it. Very extensive. He doesn't do rain, snow, sleet, snail. Uh, I think foggy days, he gets the option. He can call out. Sure, sure. It's, it's a safe day. Yeah, it, it's pretty uh, extravagant. But uh, yeah, anytime there's water, he just claims a Fremen day. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not going to argue with it. Muddy, but wait, no, you saw that look he gave you. <laughs> like. <laughs> I think that's going to do it this week, then. Yeah. Uh, if you guys maybe got a question for us. Uh, do you know what wine we can afford? You can always hit us up at Spice World Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can also reach us at SpiceWorldPod at uh, gmail.com. And you guys, there's always our website, SpiceWorldPod.com. And if you're looking for a way to maybe support the show, you can come on over to our CS. We can set you up a little yali. We'll do whatever we can. Put some orange hangings up. You can join us over at Patreon.com slash SpiceWorldPod. Mm-hmm. I just finished an uh, audio drama, yeah. which is awesome, for mm-hmm. our little folklore Muad'Dib thing. 
I didn't realize I was going to put so much work into it. It was a lot more than I thought. Oh, I can't wait to hear one hour of editing for every five minutes of final product. And you know, I mean, Mike, if you even look out, you can see the Apoleros is flying free (gasps) at this point. Oh, so you guys head on over. We have one free episode available at this point. That's true. More to come. All right. Derek. Yeah, we got this one bit left, right? This is one thing I always need to know. <laughs> got to know where we are going in this book called Dune Messiah. Uh, do you have any you want to stab in the dark? No. Take a guess. I have no idea. We haven't seen Sightail for a while, so I'm still waiting to see where he's at. That, oh. That's all I need, Mike. Just oh. it up. You want a little Sightail? Yeah, give me let's a little Sightail. Let's see what I can get for you. All right. <clears throat> The steersman appeared to oh. be. <laughs> I love, I love those. those are my favorite bits. <laughs> the steersman appeared to be fighting a losing battle to contain his nervous energies. Gone were the languid fish motions of their early, earlier encounter. Edric's tiny eyes jerked here, there, questing and measuring. The one attendant who had accompanied him in here, stood apart near the line of house guards ranging at the end of the wall at Paul's left. The attendant worried Paul, hulking, thick-necked, blunt, and vacant face. The man had entered the salon, nudging Edric's tank along its supporting field, walking with a stranger's gait, arms akimbo. Sightail, Edric had called him. Sightail and aid. The aide's surface shouted stupidity, but the eyes betrayed him. They laughed at everything they saw. You got it, Mike. It's you. You're the aide. You asked for some side tail. <laughs> you get some side tail. <laughs> Edric, and it's going to come along because, of course, we bring the third wheel to any good date. Yeah. Uh, so, side tail and Paul in the fucking room. And clearly this... Paul's cued in on something. I'm just like, you're not right. Yeah. <laughs> you're not just the guy pushing a tank. Right, right, right. Like, who are you? <laughs> yeah, the, I, I love this idea. And, like, it's like he's uh, put on Raban's uniform today. Yeah. The hulking, thick-necked aide that laughs at everything with his eyes. Like, oh, there's the something. eyes betray. Yeah. Now. Given that you know Gaius Helen is in a cell deep below the room, sure. Edric is going in for a meeting. What, what do you think the topic of discussion is going to be? Probably two pile. Okay. That is the biggest guild issue there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you think Sightail's motivation is? Oh, I don't know. He, I mean, how do you even get? Of... How do you even get there? I just changed some faces. Last time we saw him, he had two dead bodies to deal <laughs> with, right, and a kidnapped girl. Yeah, what happened to her? Sightail is busy as fuck. Specifically, Otham's girl? Yeah. Otham's, I mean, as far as we know, only daughter. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, she didn't have to have a, have a curfew. Um, I don't know. I don't know, but we know why there is sand on the goddamn balcony in the Hall of Oracles. <laughs> so sad. Because for instance, I know, I know. Don't worry. We'll figure out what happened, Mike. Until then, the, the spice, spice must, must flow. flow. So Greek, Latin, Hebrew, Egyptian isn't used anymore. Not in the traditional sense, anyways. <laughs> I mean, Mike, they, they chose a terrible script. Uh, you guys took pictures that I was just... <laughs> I'm caught. You're the only ones who did that. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, not just them. The... Uh... No, okay, no, clearly not. Clearly not. You, you know what I fucking mean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is not 
was going to say, the Aztecs also <laughs> used a hieroglyphic system. <laughs> well, there I go. <laughs> Let me just say here. And they built pyramids, so in a way, they're Egyptian. 